Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. We find our text this evening in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter number 18. Continuing in our series on a study of the life of King Saul. Our series entitled Toxic Leadership. Looking at a man that started out so well and yet ended so poorly. We find our text in 1 Samuel 18 and in this text, life is good in Israel. It's a good time to be King Saul because you remember where we were last Sunday night in 1 Samuel chapter number 17, the story of David and Goliath. The champion of Gath, that Philistine is dead. The Israelites have pursued and have, have had a great slaughter of the Philistines, the enemies of God. It's a good time to be an Israelite. It's a good time to be King Saul. He's on top of the world. His army has, has had a great spoil. Their bank accounts, they, all of the ledgers are looking really good because they went and spoiled the tents of the Philistines, got all of their valuables. And uh, everybody's excited. He has a young, a, a young leader now in his army named David that he's going to have. And, and Saul, his army just won game seven of the championship series, the championship game, and they took home the trophy of Goliath's head. This is where we find ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter number 18. By way of, we, we looked at uh, the chapter 17 last Sunday night. By way of review, let's go back uh, to the last verse of chapter 17, verse 58. And Saul said to him, to his servant, to one of his, his associates, he said, whose son, or to David, I'm sorry, he asked Abner who he was. He said, whose son art thou, young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. So we, we have uh, Saul finding out whose family David belongs to because da Saul, Saul was very good at this. He would find men with potential. He would find people with talent. And he would say, come serve me. Come work in my kingdom and take them from wherever they were. And he would gather these men into himself. And he sees potential for his kingdom to be increased. Look at verse number one. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So we see Saul's family welcomes uh, David in and Saul's son Jonathan has a deep love for David. Verse two, and Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. He said, oh, you're gonna stay here and you're gonna serve me right here. You're not going back home. I've already sent and, and let your dad know. We need you here. So Jesse's going to have to figure out somebody else to watch your sheep out in the pasture because we've got some more important things for you to do here in my house, in my kingdom, in my temple, if you will. I want you uh, to, in my palace. I want you to serve me. Now, would you read verse number five aloud with me? First Samuel 18, verse five. Ready? Begin. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Again, life is good. Saul's leadership is flourishing. In the sight of the people, they couldn't be happier with Saul as a king. He puts David over, and David wasn't even old enough to be fighting in the military, but now with his new celebrity, that's the giant killer. 
That's the one we saw. That's, that's David. He puts him over, and, and, and David's kind of a celebrity here. The people love him, and Saul uses that to his advantage. He puts him over a, a group of people in his army. Now look at verse, everything's going good, and one thing changes it all. Look at verse number six. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet who, church? To meet who? King Saul. To come meet King Saul. Get the picture in your mind. There's dancing in the streets. They're celebrating their, their championship. They're celebrating their trophy. They're celebrating. They're singing and dancing. And King Saul comes. And it's, this is amazing. And by the way, when you read it, sometimes I think we think the idea is that they were kind of bad-mouthing Saul. You read it. That wasn't the case at all. It was a rejoicing. And they came to meet King Saul. Basically, you're amazing. What's, what God's using you to do is amazing. Your leadership, our country, this is incredible. They came out to meet King Saul. Look at what it says. With tabrets, with joy, with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands. By the way, that's pretty impressive. That's nothing to shake a stick at. That was not a criticism. Saul, you're one of the most mighty warriors we've ever seen. And by the way, they didn't say, but David. Notice what it says. What's the conjunction there in verse number seven? Saul has slain his thousands. What's the next word, church? And... David is ten thousands. I personally don't believe that this was an attack on Saul's leadership. This was truth. David had killed the Goliath. They had pursued after the Philistines, and, and they had slaughtered ten, tens of thousands of, of the, the army of the Philistines. And this was a victory for Saul. This is not a criticism of Saul. It would be like, like somebody saying, Pastor Ryan has, has led his dozens of people to Christ, and Pastor Doug his hundreds. Awesome. We're on the same team. Pastor, Pastor Jay has sang some great solos, and Pastor Sammy has sang even more great solos. Awesome. Like, this, this wasn't a competition. This was our country is on top of the world. Saul and then David, and you put him to work. When I read it, that's how I read I don't think they came out with that heart, but look at what the Bible says in verse number eight. And Saul was very what? Why? Because somebody told him he had killed thousands of people? And Saul was very wroth. It's amazing. When you get lifted up in pride and in jealousy, it's amazing how you can read into everything and view everything in ways that it wasn't intended. And Saul was very wroth. By the way, we read it aloud in verse 5. What had David done to this point to deserve any kind of angst or animosity or anger from Saul? Absolutely nothing. He said he behaved himself wisely. He went in and out. He served the king happily. He left his, his work back at home. He left the sheep in the, in the field. And he came and did whatever the king wanted. David has done absolutely nothing to deserve this kind of suspicion. And look at it. It says, and Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him. It displeased him that people were happy that his army had run, won a great victory. What an insecure leader. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? What an amazing statement. And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. And here in four verses, jealousy destroys everything good that had just happened under Saul's leadership. 
Tonight I want to bring you a message. It's going to be a two-part message. I won't get through the whole message. I'll probably stop after point three or four tonight, and we'll finish it up in a couple of weeks. We've got next week, Lord willing, uh, our dear brother Jay Shaner will be bringing the third part of his series next Sunday night. And then the following Sunday, we have uh, Pastor Dean Miller from Colorado be preaching here all day on that Sunday. But the following Sunday, we'll finish this second half of this message. But I want to bring you part one of a message entitled, The Toxicity of Jealousy. The Toxicity of Jealousy. Jealousy is a poison. Jealousy will destroy any relationship. It can destroy a a business, a church, a family, a marriage. It can divide close friends and create animosity between business partners. Tonight, I want us to look at the destructive characteristics of jealousy and take inventory in our own lives. In part two of the message, we'll look at the cause of jealousy and the cure for jealousy in our lives. But I want you to look at what jealousy as, as leaders or as people that have influence or relationships with others, what jealousy leads to in our lives. And the reason I was talking with Keith Blair before church tonight, the reason I'm preaching this series, I thought it was an interesting study to study the life of King Saul and then often to contrast, compare and contrast King Saul and King David. David, a man after God's own heart. And why? So that we can all look around and say, oh yeah, that's a, that's a toxic leader there. And my boss is a toxic leader and my husband husband's a toxic leader, and that pastor I had one time was a toxic. The goal here is not for all of us to get on our self-righteous high horses about what's wrong with all of the leaders we've had in our lives. The goal is for us to identify unhealthy, ungodly characteristics in the lives of King, in the life of King Saul, and, and be honest with ourselves and say, I see that tendency in my own life. At times, I'm an unhealthy leader in my family. At times, I'm an unhealthy leader at work, at school, amongst my peer group. And so looking at the toxicity of jealousy, what does jealousy lead to in our lives from this passage? I want you to see, number one, it leads us to an inability to rejoice over others' successes. Verse 7, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Verse 8, the first part, and Saul was very wroth and the saying displeased him. Does that make any sense at all? Why would you be angry that somebody helped your army that you're the leader of? By the way, who gets the credit when the army does well? King Saul. Who does this success reflect well on? King Saul's leadership. And yet his jealousy, he looked at this little, probably 18-year-old boy. He looked at this 18-year-old shepherd and and the king of of the nation of Israel looked at this 18-year-old unknown shepherd and eyed him from that day forward. Do you always feel the need to discount others' achievements and tear them down? To explain why what they did wasn't really that big of a deal? To send text messages or direct messages about this and, well, here's what you really need to know and here's what's really wrong with them? Do you always feel the need to bring other people down? Probably a sign that there's a lack of some health and emotional maturity in your relationships and in your life and leaderships. Always needing to one-up somebody else. One comedian I saw a clip of describes this as the me monster. The me monster, you're in a a group of people and they're talking and telling stories and that person always has to bring the attention back to me. Well, I did this and I did that and, and whatever story you tell, he's got one that's better. Any of you ever been in a conversation with a me monster and it's always, oh, you did that? Well, that's nothing. 
Watch this, and, and, uh, and always one-upping. You went on a cruise to the Bahamas? Well, I have my own yacht, and they named an island after me in the Bahamas. And it doesn't matter what you tell them. It's not good enough. They, they've got to one-up it. And by the way, just a little commercial here. It has nothing to do with the Bible message, but on the way home on YouTube, just go to YouTube. Trust me. Type in Me Monster. It's a four-minute clip. You'll laugh. It'll be very good. You'll enjoy it tonight, all right? So go watch that. That's your homework after this. But an inability to rejoice over others' successes. What does the Bible say? Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that do weep. You know what we often do? We do the opposite. We rejoice with them that do weep. Almost like it makes us feel like it makes us somehow better that somebody else is going through a hard time. That they're facing a struggle. Well, my marriage must be really good because that marriage is struggling. That doesn't, somebody walking through a difficulty in their life or family or work or ministry doesn't somehow make yours or mine any better. We rejoice when people are weeping, and if we're not careful, we weep when people are rejoicing. And we want to tear it down and, and find out why they didn't deserve it and what's wrong with that. No, a, a healthy leader, a, an emotionally mature and secure leader, a spiritual godly leader rejoices when those they're serving with see great victories in their lives. They don't view that as a threat. No, they're excited about that when, when, when they see that happen. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Oh, another church is being blessed? Rejoice. You don't have to figure out what they're doing wrong and why their motives are wrong and how they're probably not pleasing God. and what's, Just rejoice if God is blessing them. Another family had an answer to prayer? Rejoice with them. A friend gets a promotion at work? Be happy for them. God uses someone else maybe in greater ways than he's ever used you? Don't be threatened. Don't get jealous. Be grateful. Be happy. Rejoice. Christians, we should live with an abundance mentality. What I mean by that is we should live with an understanding that God's blessings are not a limited commodity. Can I say that again? God's blessings are not a limited commodity. The fact that God pours out blessings on someone else in no way diminishes his ability or his store or his capacity to bless you. Now, if there was a limited capacity of God's blessing, if I saw somebody else get one, then my chances just went down that I was going to get, that I'm going to get a, a blessing. But, but God is not limited to use or bless or, or, or cause us, any one of us, to be fruitful and, and bring glory to him. He's not limited to any of that. So stop viewing every time somebody else has a victory with, with disdain or with suspicion or got to figure out why they didn't deserve it. Just Rejoice when God uses someone. Warren Wearsby said, Envy is the sin of successful people who can't stand to see others reach the heights they have reached and eventually replace them. As I said, David's success was actually a reflection of success in Saul's life and leadership, but he didn't see it that way. Don't be threatened by a younger leader. Rejoice. May I say this? The next generation is coming. And it happens quicker than you, you think. Here's the question for those of us that might be moving into the upper generations. Will we eye them with suspicion or serve with them with joy and encourage them as God begins to use them? Well, these young whippersnappers, they don't do it quite like I would have done it. I would have never used a sling to kill the giant. Everybody knows you need armor. He wasn't dressed right to go to that battle. That'll never work. It'll never work to use a sling. Be careful. 
God uses different people in different generations and different gifts in different ways. That, that the idea of get off my spiritual lawn, this is my church, my generation is the best, get rid of that mindset. No, rejoice when God uses somebody even in greater ways than you. And I've heard leaders say that, 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 that we want our children or those that we serve with or those that we train to go and be used in greater ways. But I've often watched when that actually happens, the opposite is true. We then find out what's wrong with what they're doing or what's wrong with them. And we have to figure out why our generation is still the best. I don't care about my generation. May we care about what every generation is doing for the eternal generation, if you will. An inability to rejoice over other successes. I saw this picture recently looking at how generations move quickly. There's a picture of two guys here on the left, and, and uh, the, the caption there, I didn't realize that the shadow was not going to let me read the caption, so it says something there. This, this week, the one on the right hit a game winner at Madison Square Garden, and the big guy on the left is a defensive starting center not taking a shot in 20 minutes played. For those of you that don't know basketball, the guy on the left is Blake Griffin. We have a picture of Blake. He was the first pick in the 2009 draft, rookie of the year, dunk contest winner, six-time NBA All-Star. An amazing career. Go back to the first picture, if you will. The guy on the right, the little guy taking a picture there at about the age of 11. Now, he is, his name is Trey Young. He was drafted in 2018. He's been an All-Star one time. He's one of the best up-and-coming shooters and scorers in the league. When that first picture, if we can go back to the first picture, when that picture was taken, Blake would have seen a tiny 11-year-old. Today, he's an up-and-coming star who made the NBA All-Star team, and Blake didn't this year. Trey scored more than triple the number of points. The little guy scored more than triple the number of points as the big guy this year. Here, he's a millionaire, rookie of the year, best, best rookie in the league, taking a nice picture with a cute little kid at summer camp. Today, this little kid at summer camp is tripling the scoring totals of the big guy. The kid on the right for this year became a better player than the star on the left. I thought it was a great picture of the fact that there are those coming up behind us. Invest in the next generation. Don't ignore them. Believe in them. Don't belittle them. Help them, don't hurt them. They're our future in every way. And speaking of eyeing them with suspicion, we see the next characteristic of toxic jealousy. Number one, an inability to rejoice over other successes. Number two, unjustified paranoia. Look at the end of, this is a crazy statement. End of verse number eight. So Saul, is, he is ticked off. He is mad. He's fuming. He's, he's so upset. They've ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed but thousands. Notice what he says. And what can he have more but the kingdom? He's about to take my throne. What, what else? What else are they going to give him? They're, they're going to make him king. Paranoid much? Overreact much, King Saul? He's done nothing but serve you happily and joyfully. He loves you. He's a faithful, godly servant. And David looks at him, unjustified paranoia. I, I know it. He's coming for my kingdom. By the way, we know the story. God has already given David the kingdom. Saul's already lost the kingdom. And, and Saul knows that his, his children are not going to reign. Jonathan's not going to reign on the throne. But David wasn't trying to take the kingdom. 
David hadn't done anything to justify Saul's suspicion and paranoia. Well, what's, what's he trying to do and what angle is he trying to take? And, 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 and God had already taken the kingdom in, in theory, but at this point, Saul is still king. David's got another decade or so of waiting. It's not David's time yet, and David's not going to rush that. David did nothing to deserve it, but jealous leaders, jealous leaders will view everybody in their life in unhealthy ways. With par- How are they trying to get over on me? How are they trying to hurt me? Most leaders begin with an excitement, an ambition, a humility, and a passion to make a huge difference. They come in wide-eyed, they're ready to go, and you come out of college, out of seminary, out of, and, and we're going to turn the world upside down. It's going to be awesome. And then life happens. People, they, the leader makes mistakes. People hurt them. Others disappoint them. Associates betray them. Leaders disappoint them. And then the natural tendency for all of us is to become jaded, cynical, and paranoid. We start to view everybody, how is he going to hurt me now? How is she going to hurt me now? How is that leader going to do me wrong now? That Christian, I've been in church for 50 years, and I've, I've seen so many hypocrites. I bet that one is a hypocrite too. And we start to view everybody with an unjustified paranoia. An unjustified suspicion. How are they going to get, get, do something wrong to me? When I became pastor here near, just about six years ago, and somebody said, Pastor, can we get lunch? You know what my first thought was? Sweet. That person wants to get to know their pastor. Probably going to buy me lunch. That's awesome. Hey, they, they probably want to pray with me and find out what my prayer requests are and find out about my family and how, how we can serve together and what the needs are of the church. Over the last six years, and it's not a pity party, but I've had more than a few difficult emails come my way, more than a few disappointing meetings and difficult conversations. And by the way, the vast majority has been the opposite of that. But if we're not careful, we don't focus on the vast majority. We focus on the few disappointments. That goes with the territory, having those things of, of, of helping to lead a ministry with more than a thousand different people involved in our ministries on a weekly basis. You're not going to be able to be a part of something that touches more than a thousand lives per week without some misunderstandings, some mistakes, some mis- mishaps. And if I'm not careful now, if someone says, Pastor, can we meet for lunch? My first response isn't, oh, I wonder what good news they want to share with me. Or what do they want to pray with me about? I can easily start to believe the worst. I wonder what they're upset about. I wonder what happened or what bad news they're going to give me. I wonder what disagreement they have this time. I, I wonder how we let them down here. By the way, that can happen not just in ministry, at business, and anything. The longer you're, there's a reason we call it childlike faith. Kids have this, this unfiltered, uninhibited ability to just love and believe the best. And the more you've been hurt, the more tendency there is to start putting up walls and start to believe the worst. Well, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. They're going to let me down at some point. They're going to hurt me at some point. They're going to do me wrong at some point. By the way, that, that posture in a leader is natural, but it's not healthy. It's natural when you've been hurt a few times for that to become your posture, but it's not healthy. And not only can we start to believe that, but even worse as leaders, we can start not just to think something bad is coming, we can start to assign wrong motives to those around us. David's trying to get my kingdom. No, he wasn't. He's probably trying to tear me down. No, he wasn't. Well, that pastor probably doesn't like me. How do you know that? That church member's probably talking behind my back. That staff member's probably trying to split the church. 
Be careful of automatically deferring to the negative in every interaction. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13. Biblical charity, the Bible says, biblical charity believes all things. That doesn't mean biblical charity, biblical love in our lives is naive. It doesn't mean you tell me the sky's purple. Well, when I have biblical charity, I believe all things. No, you study that word out. Believes all things means believes the best about people. Their default posture in relationships is, I'm going to believe the best about that person's motives and actions. I'm not going to automatically, because they disappointed me, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. My, deep, my natural posture, my natural approach to a relationship is, I'm going to give that person the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to believe all things. I'm going to believe that they are not, they, 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 they probably made a mistake there. Maybe they didn't mean it. Maybe, maybe they did. But I'm going, to, I'm going to keep my heart right. I'm not going to view everybody through the lens of cynicism. How are they going to hurt me now? How are they going to get, get, do something to me now? Be careful about that. Don't sabotage your relationships by believing the other shoe is always about to drop. Something bad is always around the corner. How much energy have we wasted and how many opportunities have we missed because we're always expecting the worst to happen and most of the time, the thing we live scared about never comes to fruition. He said it there in chapter 8. What can he have more but the kingdom? He hadn't taken anything from Saul. And Saul viewed David as, he's, about, he's probably going to kick me out of, the, out of the palace tomorrow. Jealous leaders, jealous leaders have an unjustified paranoia. Verse 9, Saul eyed David from that day and forward. Verse 10, and it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the midst of the house and David played with his hand as at other times and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. David is there playing the harp and before that had brought great comfort um, to, to people. I've heard people say that, that that's a, a sign and music is very powerful. Music can bring comfort to us but that's a sign that if you have the right kind of music it will bring comfort. Well the same music that brought him comfort made him want to kill somebody. Uh, a little bit later, and, and the, he's playing the harp for him, and he puts a javelin in his hand. Verse number 11, and Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. In this chapter alone, there are three different murder plots Saul tries to kill David. Twice he uses his own daughters to try to kill him. We'll get to that in a minute, or maybe, maybe the next message we'll get to that. Verse 11, what do we see? The third thing I see in jealous leaders, what does jealousy lead to? It leads to irrational treatment of others. Irrational treatment of others. We repay the good done to us with evil. We act in illogical and irrational ways. Here's David, he's done nothing. He's killed Goliath, he's honored Saul, he's left his home, he's come to serve in the palace, he's, he's led the military well, he's behaved himself wisely, he's done whatever Saul asked him to do, he's played the harp whenever Saul needed it, when Saul was having a bad day. And what does he get repaid? How does he get repaid for that? Saul picks up his javelin while he's playing the harp and throws it as hard as he can. The javelin sticks in the wall. Twice David escapes out of his hand. We repay, when we're jealous, we repay the good done to us with evil. We act in illogical and irrational ways. We hurt those who love us most. We are the least kind to the ones we say are the most important in our lives. David had done nothing but humbly and joyfully and willingly serve Saul. And yet Saul tried to kill David for what? For killing Goliath? 
for leading his military, for playing the harp. This chapter, again, shows us three different times Saul tries to kill David. Jealous leaders' treatment of others often makes no sense. Jealous leaders' treatment of others often makes no sense. And then lastly, we'll stop after this point. Look at verse 12. What what do I see? The fourth characteristic of a a toxic leader that that has the toxicity of jealousy. I see insecurity. Verse 12. Would you read verse 12 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. What a sad verse. Somebody living for God scared Saul. Somebody that had the power of God scared Saul because Saul knew in his heart he was a shell of what he used to be. It scared him. Look at verse number 13. Therefore, because of that, Saul removed him from him. He got him out of him and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. This man that's tried to kill him, David does not retaliate. I preached a whole message about, two messages about toxic leadership doesn't have to define you. You don't have to respond the way you've been treated. And the Lord was with him. Verse 15, wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. May I say this tonight? Jealousy and fear often go hand in hand. Saul feared losing power, and it caused him to fear someone that he had no reason to fear. It's amazing how we can view others when our view of God and our own lives is not what it should be. A leader who is secure in who God has made him and where God has placed him and how God has used him and who he is in Christ will not view others as competitors, but as co-laborers. Can I say that statement again? I'll shorten it. A leader who is secure in who God has made him and used him will not view others as competitors, but as co-laborers. He will not view everyone as a threat to his power, but as a friend with who he can work together to accomplish more. Insecure leaders isolate themselves from everyone. Nobody's either, nobody's good enough or they're too good and so they're a threat. Either nobody, nobody matches up and, and so you're not good enough to, to, to be close to me or you're too good and so I've got to view you with suspicion so I'm not going to let you in. Why? Because my posture as a leader is fear. How is that one going to hurt me? As a pastor, if I lead in that way, jealousy of, I saw somebody giving praise to Brother Ryan and and saying, what a great job he did with the teens this week at teen camp. And so then I view him with suspicion. Well, he's probably trying to become pastor. He's probably got a petition going around right now to vote me out of the church. And if if, if I view everyone that way and I'm constantly scared, you know what I need to do as a leader? You don't have a petition, do you, Ryan? No, there's no, okay. It's like a nervous laughter. Maybe there is a petition. (laughs) As a leader, if I'm viewing everyone from that perspective, guess what? I'm going to isolate myself and everybody. I'm going I'm to assign motives to everyone. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to rejoice when they do something great. Well, how come they praised him and they didn't praise me? It's not about if you praised him or me. We're here to praise him. This is not my kingdom. This is not my church. This is his church. You're not my people. You're his people. God has allowed me to be a spiritual leader in your lives. I pray that helps shepherd you. I understand those principles, but this is not about getting me up on a pedestal. This is about us serving the one who is on the the highest throne there is, the, the Jesus Christ on the throne of heaven. 
Saul removed David. And you'll study it. I won't take you to the passages, but as it related to his treatment of David, he wouldn't listen to the counsel of Jonathan. He wouldn't listen to the counsel of others in his kingdom. To the insecure leader, everyone is either a threat or is not good enough for them. There's always something wrong with them. And here's the question. Do you find yourself consistently pushing people away when they get close to you? Do you have a tendency to isolate yourself, either as a mechanism to protect you from getting hurt or because you always find something wrong in their lives where they don't measure up to you? These are indicators of some toxicity in our lives and leadership. In a couple of weeks, I'll bring the conclusion of the message. We'll finish up this chapter and I'll give you the cause of our jealousy and the cure. In the meantime, let's be honest about where we've developed unhealthy attitudes and actions in our relationships. And let's take steps toward healthier interactions in every arena of our lives. When we are content in who God is in our lives, where he's placed us, what he's given us, we don't view everybody else's competition. They're trying to get, they're try, no, we're not, we're not competitors, we're co-laborers. We're not on opposing teams, we're on the same team. We're not in a battle against each other. We're in a battle with each other, striving together for the sake of the gospel. Change your mentality and don't allow the toxicity of jealousy, of envy to lead you to suspicion of everybody else. Not being able to rejoice when somebody else does something amazing. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Be excited. I was was convicted. I put it on Facebook. Some of you probably saw it, a passage from the commentary on this passage talking about the idea, if God broke loose in another church or God forbid another denomination where people were getting saved and baptized and and, and the, the Spirit of God was at work in great ways. By the way, if that happened here, we would all rejoice. If that happened in the church down the road, would we have the same rejoicing? If not, it shows our hearts, it's not about him, it's about us. And that will destroy any relationship. Take inventory, all of us. Do we have an inability to rejoice in the success of of others? Do we have an unjustified paranoia? We're constantly looking for what's wrong with everybody and how they're trying to get over on us, how they're trying to hurt us, how they're trying to get, they're, they're probably talking about me. Get rid of that. Even if they are, it's no way to live. They'll answer to God for that. Do, do in our lives, do we see irrational treatment of others? We treat them in ways they don't deserve. Unkindness when they've done nothing but show kindness to us. Take inventory and ask God. And what about insecurity? Insecurity often leads to fear and it leads to isolation. Don't let that happen. Be secure, not in who you are in your own strength. Be secure in who you are in Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.